1: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320
2: KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Live at you today, 3 to 6 on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Um... KU takes down St. John's on Friday on the road. I kind of wondered if it was going to be a bit of a slog because of the fact that you know you had your long travel to New York. You're in another time zone. You had a long week of practice where we heard so much about the, the running and the emphasis on playing defense, and I wondered if it would be a slog of a game, if it would be a low-scoring defensive game. Well, that was not the case. It was a high-scoring game. Certainly, you don't walk away from that feeling like, all of the answers to the KU defense are necessarily there, but I think you clearly walk away from that game feeling even better, which you already were coming from a good spot to be about where this KU offense is at. They can score in more ways than we even thought. We
0: talked mm-hmm. all, you know, we've talked in the preseason and even you know up till last week about, you know the more ways any individual player can score, the more opportunities that opens up for your entire team. Um, and now they've got this Christian Brown guy who mm. can has added so much to his repertoire. Um, I mean, they are. I'm I'm trying to to tame my excitement a little bit because it's so early in the season, and I'm trying to decide: Am I this excited because I really think they're truly this? Like I, I they're so like I really am looking at it going. Good God, this team is good, or is it because? Um, I've kind of watched a few years, even in 2020 when, had they had the tournament, KU would have been far and away the number one ranked team going into the tournament. And they were, according to Ken Palm, very far above whoever the second best team was. Even that team had to run a lot of sets. Mm -hmm. And and you kind of saw that they had to um, really work. It wasn't like other years where it looked like the offense was running in quicksand. But even that year, they really had to... Everything they did offensively was so patterned. Yeah, This one just looks so much more
2: free-flowing and open. Yeah, that one felt a lot like that was like a team that it felt so calculated, right? Like they're going to stifle you with great defense, and then they just have these two studs in Devon Dotson and Yudoka who are going to work their way to it. Outside of that, they're going to have to kind of, like I said, calculated in that kind of sense, find their way to points. This team just makes scoring look so easy. and, And just to compare it to last year's team, it is night and day because we think about last year. I mean, how many times last season did KU have these three, four, five, six minute stretches where it was like, Yeah, they haven't hit a field goal in yeah. four or five minutes? And
0: every possession was run the first set, that didn't work. All right, mm-hmm. now there's eighteen seconds left on the shot clock. Run the second set, that didn't work. Now there are twelve seconds left on the shot clock. Run the other possess- or run the other set, that didn't work. Now there's four seconds left on the shot clock, and somebody's got to chuck a shot.
2: Yeah. And that's just not happening. And hey. even if it does with this team, it's like, kind of oh, like, okay, hey, we'll you take the yeah. shot. Remy Martin will shake somebody and shoot it. O'Chall but, hit a contested three. Christian will make a drive to the ra- They just have so but their many first options. Look is working so well mm-hmm. on
0: offense right now. And they're so – Jesse talked about it <laughs> last week. Uh, Jesse Newell, we and we had him on, and um, he really brought it to my attention. So that's what I was looking at. Uh, on Friday was how good this team is on fast breaks.
2: Yeah, and that continued on against St. John's, a team that uh, was going to give you some opportunities there. So really outside of the beginning of the second half when St. John's just could not be stopped, I think partially their own doing, partially because KU's defense was struggling, it was a a really overwhelming game from KU, and I think maybe that's the comparison for what this team can be. Um, I know you've mentioned to me in the past, like, And this really comes up a lot when, like, Bill Self teams have played Roy Williams teams. The difference there a lot of times has been the idea that, you know, with a Bill Self team, you know there's going to be that one run of play for three, four minutes where the defense doesn't give up any points. They just shut you down, and you go on a 12-0 run. Well, with this team, you can still go on those 12, 15-0 runs – but it's a different way of how you get it. This team is almost like an avalanche. They can just, it's kind of like the 2018 team in that regard because the 2018 team and 2017, like you could just all of a sudden three straight possessions, you hit three straight threes. Now this team isn't shooting as many threes as those teams were, but they're getting it done another way because they're driving, they're opening up huge driving lanes and and they're attacking the rim and finishing at the rim at such a high level. It's unbelievable to watch.
0: As quick as they are at driving, they almost make, and this isn't a perfect comparison because the NBA, those they're, they're such you know they're really even watching watching the best college teams versus watching an average NBA team you see such superior athleticism but just to bear with me on this comparison it really it it makes it look like the lane is wider for mm-hmm. the defense like the defense ha- it's almost like they have to defend a wider lane because of how good this team is is, is at slashing
2: yeah and that's always like a big difference of the NBA to college that um, you know one reason people think it's just like a lack of of trying on defense and you know it's a wider lane. it's a bigger court so you have more openings for athletes to make things and that's why in college sometimes it can be more kind of grinded up into a uh, smaller court of play but man, the way this team is Christian Brown is shooting over 70% on two point shots right now and you gotta think that won't continue but
0: even I mean that's even if he cools off a little bit, he's still outstanding.
2: And that's the other thing, like Christian Brown, even um, as great as he's shooting from two, he he's not like just killing it from three right now, and we know that couldn't be in his game. So uh, maybe any points that go down on, on uh, kind of a regression to the mean from two-point shooting, maybe he gets them back in three-point shooting. But Christian Brown, uh, 31 points in that game against St. John's. And we talked about this kind of at nauseum last week. The idea of is Christian Brown the second best player on this team, and we floated the idea out there. We, you know, I I asked kind of just to ask it, like, can you make a case for him to be the best player on the team? I'm gonna ask it again because we we saw that happen. And before I ask it, here are the last two weeks, which encompasses four games. Christian Brown is averaging twenty and a half points per game. 7 rebounds per game, 3.5 assists, 2.5 steals, half a block. He's shooting 63% from the field, 38% from three, 81% at the foul line. That is a 71 true shooting percentage. Out of comparison, Ochai, who is obviously a very, very good basketball player, is averaging, in that same time frame, 20 points per game, about half a point less, 4 rebounds per game, 3 rebounds less, 1.5 assists, Half, uh, less than half of what Christian's averaging assist-wise. 0.5 steals per game, so two less steals per game. No blocks, so half a block less per game. 53% from the field, 10% worse. He is shooting better from three, 48%, but 64% from free throw line. He has an 8% lower true shooting percentage. So I ask again, can you make a case that Christian Brown is the best player on this team?
0: I'm still going to lean Ochai, um, and the, the reason for that is, one, his defense— but the main reason I'm going to give, and and the further we get out from the beginning of the season, the less my argument will have any merit. But at the moment, I'm still going to I'm just still going to go back to the fact that so far this season, Ochai's floor mm-hmm. has been a lot higher than Christian Brown. Christian Brown had a, what I mean, it wasn't a bad game. He had, didn't he have like a six? Yeah, point he had game? six points
2: against Michigan State. And, he wasn't and, really but ever the,
0: but look a piece the, of the, the offense. further away we get from that, and mm-hmm. the more performances he has like this the less valid that argument gets. I'm still leading Ochai, but um, I don't know. I just, you know, and and the fact that we weren't even discussing him, I mean, think about ahead of Big 12 media days, our thought was, wow, they're sending Ochai and David McCormick there when Remy Martin was chosen as Big 12 preseason player of the year. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Or, you you know, Jalen Wilson, he went to the NBA Combine. He's coming back. At no point did we talk about Christian Brown... Uh, becoming you know c- cementing himself so far as the second best player on this team
2: and and be making an argument mm-hmm. for for being the first best player no there was a there was a big sect of fans and there was a, a big chunk of time devoted on this show about during the off season when you brought in Remy Martin and Joe yesfu like if you're gonna start both of those guards or if you're going to start Remy and, and Dewan Harris like who would be the guy you expect to go to the bench and, and a lot of the conversation was, well, maybe Christian Brown will be a guy who comes off the bench. We just took for granted that Brown was going to yeah. come off the
0: bench once Jalen Wilson came back from his suspension.
2: Exactly. We just pinned him in as a yeah. guy going on the bench. And, and I mean, it was, it was it was a little easier to say because of how last year ended. Like, he, he really struggled over the last month of the season. But this guy has gotten so much better. He's grown so much in his game. I would agree with you. I would still go Ochai right now just because you do – maybe you feel like it's going to sustain more throughout the season. And I think the defense matters here too. Ochai is a much better on ball defender, but I will say this, like, yes, I think Oh, is a much better on ball defender. I don't think it's that much of a difference as you'd think in terms of like off ball defender or team defender. I think, you know, steals and blocks aren't necessarily indicative of who the best defender is. Like yeah. uh, you can be a risky defender and just get steals. Um, But I do think there is something to being in the right position defensively, knowing where you need to be, Um, and I think that maybe has led to some of these steals for Christian Brown, that again, Oshai's a better defender, but... You know, there's certain areas where, again, like the steals and and blocks where you could say, well, Christian maybe gives you more versatility because he can be a better defensive rebounding, which is a defensive rebounder, which is part of the defensive process, or a better shot blocker at the rim, or maybe just has a better read on getting steals. And while Ochai could be a better on-ball lockdown defender, like there are certain areas there that you can make up for with Christian Brown to make it, I think, more of a conversation that, honestly, even though I am saying I still think Ochai's the better player— if you wanted to make the argument that Christian is the better player, I would have no idea, no uh problem with it.
0: Yeah, it's it's not a it's not an invalid argument to make by any means. And he seems to be the most alert um and, and I don't know, maybe I'm just looking too much for this and you know and, and as as such I'm I'm believing what I you know want to see more than what I'm actually seeing, but it seems like Christian ha- is by far the best at as, at being heads up and knowing when to switch off on screens. And he kind of also puts you in a position where you're never in a terrible mismatch. You know, a lot of times when you switch off screens the way Bill Self likes to do, is a lot of teams will use that to work the ball around uh, and, and put you in a situation where you have a big man down on the blocks against a guard, and it's a big mismatch. And I would say the best person of, of the regular big uh, of the regular KU guard contributors, perimeter contributors, the best position to be in is Jalen Wilson to be on that big man if he gets switched off. But Christian Brown is not. You know, it's not like having Remy Martin on a big man where you go, hey, whoever's you know the point guard at the ball up top, you need to look down at the blocks. Your big man is being guarded by Remy Martin. That's a huge mismatch. Christian Brown, if you switch off and they kind of work their patterns to to the point where they're trying to get a big man, uh, their big man on a guard to get an easy bucket. Christian Brown is not a simple mismatch for the other team's offense.
2: No, not at all. And the fact that you can basically play him at the two through four uh, makes him very versatile to you on really both ends of the court. So I guess where we go from here, if if it does feel more, I don't want to say certain because again, like guys like Dave or Jalen or Remy can come into their own and, and take also, the mantle. David, yeah, yeah. Um, if
0: not, if not for Christian Brown having the best game of his career, mm-hmm. we'd probably be talking oh, much more about Dave. Right? Yeah,
2: he'd be leading off the show. So, um, as you look at that, though, with saying Ochai and Christian are the two best players on the team, obviously both those players are wings. And we talk about all the time in college basketball, especially in the NCAA tournament, what wins he games in March. It's the guards, right? What everybody and, says. And and it's, you know, it, it's kind of picking nits a little to be, because technically Ochai and Christian are guards, right? So, I think when people say that, though, they mean lead guards. But again, you can get as, you know, whatever argument you're trying to make. Like, you could go back and, and pluck certain teams. And a guy who's a two-guard, you could be like, yeah, but, you know, this team made a long NCAA tournament game and or run, and he was a guard. So, you know, you can kind of that way. But I do wonder, is that sustainable for a long run in the NCAA tournament? If your two best players are two wings or... Or do you basically need a guy like Remy Martin to emerge as a top two player on the team? Does that matter at all to you? I mean, it makes me feel a lot better.
0: I just think the reason guards appear to be so important, or and not appear to be, that 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 makes it seem like it's a mirage, are important. I'll go. You know, the reason they are so important for a lot of tournament runs. I I have a list, um, and off the top of my head, I can't remember the whole thing, but. There's a list I have of of certain things that you need to make a deep run in the in the NCAA tournament. One's a great coat, and and you don't need all five. I think it's a five. I need to go back and look at it. It's a list of I think six things, and you don't need all six. But the more of them you have, the better off you are. And uh, among them is a matchup nightmare, mm-hmm. which I'll say I don't think the Jayhawks have. Yeah, like uh, a.
2: A lot of times it's a stretch four, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, So they don't quite have a matchup nightmare. But one thing on the list is you need someone who can get you a point when you need a point. Mm -hmm. And it helps having Bill Self, because we've talked about how they basically have a 10-point advantage right off the bat because of Bill Self's ability to draw up sideline and baseline out-of-bounds plays. But in the moments where you don't have a timeout left or you're not going to call a timeout and you just need points, the reason a guard, particularly point guard, is so important is because a lot of great point guards can cut to the basket mm-hmm. and either collapse the defense or get a, uh, a great shot themselves. But I think what you have, even though they aren't true point guards, what you have with Ochai and Christian Brown so far with both of them is you do have somebody who... We don't we we don't have a timeout to call guys. You have to go down and get a bucket, and the Jayhawks have that right now. And and that I think is probably more important. But I think the reason guards are so important is because it's usually a guard who represents that yeah. definite scoring threat.
2: Yeah, and that's a good point. Uh, like you think of the Final Four last year, you can say a lot of these teams had good guards and wings, but like Baylor, that was certainly a guard-oriented team. Gonzaga had. You know, Jalen Suggs, they also had good wings with like Corey Kispert um, and Joel Ayai. With Houston, it was a bunch of guards. You have Quentin Grimes and uh, uh, Giroux. And Plus, then if,
0: if you're playing, if you're Houston, you only got to score 48 points with Kelvin Sampson's defense.
2: Yeah. And they didn't have to play a single digit C. That certainly helps. But um, like UCLA, you know. You could argue that was a wing-driven team because you have Johnny Juzang and and Jaime Hawkins. And maybe that's the best comparison. But they also still had Tiger Campbell, who's one of the best point guards. But you know what else I think is interesting for this conversation? Um, Like, when you look at the NCAA, this, or uh, when you look at, like, college basketball as a whole this year, there's not, like, at least right now, there's not, like, one, I think, point guard that really sticks out to you that you automatically say, like, oh, my gosh, this guy is is unbelievable, right? Like, in years past, you think of those, like, Jared Butler or Davion Mitchell or Jalen Suggs, Frank Mason, you know, Derek Rose, John Watt. Like, you have all these great point guards, and, and you can go on and on and on. And even, like, the, the great college point guard, right? Like, your Carson Edwards, you have so many of those guys in years past. I don't know if you have one of those this year because if if you like started listing off who is the best point guard, names that are going to come up in college basketball are like Colin Gillespie, who I think is a very good player. But, you know, is Colin Gillespie like the best player in the country? No. Um, Andrew Nembard of Gonzaga, you know, again, like solid player, good player. Uh, Maybe you would argue like Jaden Ivey at at Purdue, but he's a guy who I think he's more of like a two guard. So you get this point where. I don't know that the point guard position is is that strong comparatively to other years in college basketball. And again, I don't even know how much of it matters because I, I think at the end of the day, there's multiple ways to skin a cat. And like, for instance, last year's Michigan team, which got a one seed, went to the Elite Eight and, you know, just played a stinker of a game in the Elite Eight and still barely lost to UCLA. If not, they're going to the Final Four. And who knows if they go further from there. That was a wing-driven team. You had, um, uh, uh what's his name? Uh uh, Wagner, uh, who is a, a top 10 pick in the draft. Oh, Mo he was a wing. Uh, the, the the little brother. And then you had um, the other kid, Livers, who was a wing, kind of 3-4 man. Like That was a wing-driven team. And that team was probably good enough to win a national title. So I think KU can do it, and especially in a year like this where there might be less great point guards, leaves it for more opening. But certainly, if Remy Martin was to take another step forward, I think that would only help you from here. All right, with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joins us in about 15 minutes. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, Johnson at gpmnow.com. That's Johnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back in. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. Typically, we're joined by Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks on Fridays, but we had a short show on Friday to get out to the St. John's game. I was taking off getting out to uh Omaha for the KU Volleyball game, but joined now by Brian on a Monday, as I mentioned. So, Brian, uh, you were just up in New York for the St. John's game. This is the second trip to New York that KU has made this year. Do you feel like a true New Yorker now? Are you cutting people off on the streets? Are you uh, yelling, look who's walking here? What what are you doing that you've carried over from uh, your two trips to New York so far?
1: Forget about it, man. Forget about it. (laughs) Uh, no, you know, this is a different trip. We were on Long Island. i would never been up there. Mm. And, uh, oh, so, it, and is, so
2: that's always a debate by the way. So you're, uh, on the record on Long Island, not in
1: Long Island. Yeah, I, I think on is what <laughs> I picked up on. You're supposed to say, okay. but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I've had the iced teas, but I've never actually been there. And, uh, this was a very different trip to New York. I mean, when you're staying, in Manhattan, playing at Madison Square Garden, our hotel is literally a block and a half from Madison Square Garden. It's like a six-block walk to Times Square and Broadway and all that. When you're in Long Island, we were staying at a place called Garden City, New York, uh, which, which is not like Garden City, Kansas, but uh, almost as remote. And uh, so, yeah, we were a good hour, hour 15 from the activity down in Manhattan. But Steve and I went to a hockey game the night before uh, to check out the arena, the, the UBS arena that we played in the next night, to see it in its natural state for an Islanders game. And that was kind of fun. And it's located right next to Belmont track uh, so this the town is Elmont, New York, but Belmont is where the Belmont Stakes is at, and and of course, that was right next door, almost adjoined to UBS Arena, so there was a little bit of fun history there, but not our typical New York City trip. Uh, So yes, two trips to New York, but very different parts of it, and uh, and yeah, long trip coming home, but we're glad to be back and ready for Missouri week, and UTEP that comes first. Mm -hmm. So
2: UTEP on the ledger uh, tomorrow night, and we'll get to that in a second, but I do want to reminisce more on that game actually in the game Um, Christian Brown 31 points in that one which bested his previous career high of the St. Joseph's last year in the second game of the season and um, Christian Brown was really the forefront of our conversations last week the fact that You know, if you were picking players, and we actually did a draft of players, like, would he be the second player on the team picked behind only Baji? And we looked at just the stats from the ESPN Events Invitational, and that week, you could argue he was the best Kansas player. I mean, he was the only one who ended up on the all-tournament team, and then he goes out and has that performance on Friday night. Um, I I guess, where are we at with Christian Brown? Because right now, the guy we're seeing... Looks like a legit All-American candidate. Is it crazy to say that Christian Brown might even be the best player on this KU team?
1: Wow, that that's saying a lot. I still think it's Oach, but I think that his ceiling has been raised so much higher from last season to this season. I was at a a private event with Coach Self back in September or October, and I think sometimes he's even more candid in these conversations because he doesn't have ten microphones in his face. And Somebody asked him about the summer that Christian Brown had turned in, and he said, hey, he was a good player his first couple of years. And he was a very good player coming out of year two. He's a pro now, uh, or at least he's on a path to be a pro. He changed his, changed his trajectory from very good to now professional, you know, ascending type talent that, doesn't mean, by the way, that he's going to be pro after this particular year. He could still be a four-year guy. Bill Self wasn't saying that, but the point is he said he made such a leap between his second year and the start of his third that you're looking at him in a completely different light. And so uh, I still think Coach is our best overall player, but it's funny, you know, going back to September and October when you know, just based on stats and people expecting stats to transfer one league to the next, one coaching style to the next, Remy Martin's named your preseason Big 12 Player of the Year, and and you knew that there was a chance he could do that. But hey, you know David and and Ochai are also first team All Big 12 guys. Maybe they're candidates and then we hear about how Jalen Wilson had had tremendous preseason and offseason and he might be the second or third best player on the team and then you hear about Christian Brown having a great offseason but, but Brown was never mentioned in the best player on the team debate and yet here he is now uh, getting some of that love at least here on RCST so I would say he's still you know, in conversation for number two because I think Ochai overall is your best guy but uh, we're seeing Brown make strides on both ends of the floor and he's gotten back to being the the player, he was at Blue Valley Northwest, who would break you down off the bounce, take it to the rack, uh, you know, have that ability to slither your way through traffic with the assertiveness and aggressiveness to finish at the rim and it's not that he couldn't do that his first couple of years he just wasn't ready to and that didn't fit within what his team needed him to do at that point now much more confident assertive and it's a necessary thing for he and oach to go out and hunt their shot and you know still be ready on the catch to be a good spot-up shooter because he can do that too but knowing that hit enough from the outside that they have to come out and guard you and then blow by him and finish at the rim. Because he's got that kind of athleticism, and now he's playing with that kind of confidence. He's always had some swag factor to him. I mean, think back to our first Big East Big 12 battle game with Villanova when he denied Jeremiah Robinson Earl at the rim and kind of flexed and bowed up on him. And then last year, of course, he gets teed up in an empty uh, arena up there in Indianapolis, I think it's Bankers Life Fieldhouse, Uh, Doug Sermon. The same guy that teed him up a couple of games ago in Orlando teased him up because of something he yelled after dunking on a guy. And so he, he's always had that edge. But now uh, I think there's even more confidence. And, and when confidence meets readiness, like like you can be overly confident in your head for what your physical skills can bring. But when your physical capabilities align with how good you think you are between the years, well, then you can really see a guy take off. And I think right now he's operating in the wheelhouse of that. And so uh, I Still think Oach is one, but but he's one B if Oach is one A. And, and, then, and then, you know, I've obviously nobody's sleeping on what Jalen Wilson can eventually be. He just hasn't found his groove yet, and that's going to take a few games. It's probably taken longer than we thought it would, um, and it may take another couple of weeks. Who knows? But he still has that ability to be our second best pro prospect on this team. He was at the combine last year going through all the pre draft processes and getting feedback and all that. And so uh, he still has that type of ceiling and Remy has it in him too he's just obviously you know taking longer to understand everything that coach self-wants from him defensively and picking his spots on where to attack offensively when he's not asked to be a 19 point per game scorer at Kansas and so it's going to be interesting to see the continued evolution of all of those guys but when you have a guy like Brown who wasn't in the best player conversation two months ago now putting forth the type of effort that warrants it, my oh my, does that get you excited? Because usually for that to happen, guys, it means somebody got hurt, and then somebody was thrust into a bigger role. Hey, we're healthy right now, with the exception of Bobby Pettiford, and, and you've got guys emerging on a much higher plane than what we thought, and, and that just means, you know, the, the rising tide will raise all ships, and so we got to get fired up about this club ceiling being maybe a notch or two even bigger than what we thought.
2: Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. We talked about it in the open, the uh, uh, you know, the, the defensive side of things is is something that definitely factors in and, and gives it to Ojai, but it's just, it's weird. Over the last four games, Christian's averaging a point more per game, three more rebounds, double the amount of assists, two more steals, half a block more. He has a 71% true shooting percentage to Ojai's 63%. Like, he has just been unbelievable, and, and yeah, I, I don't think that necessarily changes things, but The idea that you're getting that production from that guy, as you mentioned, who wasn't even being talked about in this light. And we've kind of on this show gone through the idea of, you know, who is the best or who is the second best player on this team. And it's cycled through Ochai and Dave and Remy and Jalen. And that was just one guy that never really got brought up over the course of the offseason and and really after even the first week or two of the season. But now it's it's become pretty abundant so far uh, that that's the case. Uh, we're talking with Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks here on Rock Truck Sports Talks. So KU takes on UTEP tomorrow night. And, and hey,
1: real fast, before yeah. we talk minors, can I interject one thing real fast? Absolutely. Just to follow up on your point about all the categories that Brown's excellent in and how that factors into his argument for perhaps best player take you a walk down memory lane here back when this show was first created 20 years ago, as crazy as that mm. sounds to say out loud, we used to play a game called Rock Chalk Pickahawk, and you would draft players before every game based on the matchup, who you thought was going to have the best game. We gave one point for every point scored, two points for rebounds and assists, three points for block shots and steals, so major emphasis on defense, and then we deducted a point for every minute played, mm. so it was a efficiency thing. And folks, would win gift cards to originally, I think it was like Pizzeria Uno back when that was going and then it was Salty Iguana. And it was all kinds of places, alright? I'm telling you, man, CB would be the guy to draft on this year's team mm-hmm. because stat sheet stuffer. He's always been a good rebounder, and he's been getting six or seven a game for us, but as you mentioned, blocks, steals, the occasional three or four assists in there as well. I mean, he's doing it all, and he does it at a very efficient clip. So uh, to throw back the, uh, the walk down memory lane for the old School RCST listeners like the Brett Ballard, Alonzo Jamison, David Lawrence, Bud Stallworth era of co-hosts for Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Rock Chalk Pickahawk in 2021, 2022, <laughs> CB would probably go number one most
2: nights. Do you remember who the MVP was when you were doing that? Like, was it like Drew Gooden, Nick Collison? Who who was the guy that everybody was kind of salivating to to get?
1: Man, that's a great question. You know, we we did this for probably six or seven years, um, and you know, part of that stretch, you know, Wayne Simeon was a two time All American and he was a big time guy. But then you get into that 08 team, and and there were so many different options on any given night. So it truly depended on who had the hot hand and who the matchups were. And in favor of Sharon was always a super popular choice. Cole Aldrich, when you get the blocks in there, was a popular choice, and and the Morris twins too, because you know they were a threat. To block shots, get rebounds, all that. But yeah, it, it was definitely matchup oriented. But uh, we had some fun with that back in the day. It was probably uh, you know too much of the same thing over and over. But I, I was always a fan of the draft concepts. So I, I love it that you guys have already drafted with this year's team. That's always a, a fun hypothetical to throw out there.
0: It's got to be an absolute certainty that Nick Collison won that night of his twenty-three and twenty-two against Texas, right?
1: <laughs> well, yes, but. Um, you know back then i'm trying to think was that 02 03? that was that was 03, 03. that was in
0: february 03. or january or february of 03 it was 2 days after yeah. that awful um second half against in, in allen fieldhouse against arizona when we blew that big lead we come around two nights later to beat uh, texas on big monday
1: very good memory, and, uh, and that was one of two standing ovations at the time that Dick Vitale ever gave out. The other was to David Robinson, the Admiral at Navy, so that that was pretty uh, tall, cotton, high company for, for Nick Collison to be in, but um, yes, I think uh, he would have had to have been the pick if we were doing it then. It might have been a year later we first got it going, but yeah, that's, that's massive points right there. That's 24 for offense, 46 for rebounding, and I'm sure he played a ton of minutes, but um, but, yeah, he was he was a rock star on that night. All right, so UTEP
2: the opponent tomorrow night at the T-Mobile Center. We know KU has had um, some troubles in the past in certain games at the T-Mobile Center for whatever reason. UTEP has, weirdly enough, given KU all sorts of troubles in uh, matchup history. Just think of the game that happened in March in that one. Um, so what are you kind of looking at in this game between KU and UTEP that you find uh, kind of intriguing and and what you're looking for on Tuesday night?
1: Well, I think it's interesting that Bill Self actually brought up KU's underwhelming T-Mobile slash Sprint Center record, um, of his own volition, the other night, in talking with Greg Gurley on the post game, he mentioned we haven't played in Kansas City as well as we should play. And for a while there, you know, we always referred to it as as Allen Fieldhouse East. And and then there were some stub toe games. And so Kansas obviously would love to get back to winning, you know, 90 percent of their games over there. But I, I think this is one that has KU's attention because of how close the game was a year ago in the game they added to the schedule that really came down to the wire. I mean, 69-64 in the field house. And and obviously this was a Kansas team that then had all kinds of COVID issues and and had a quick exit in March Madness. But because they – Pushed us to the brink and bring back four starters from that group and a really scrappy team that plays high energy, a lot of tenacity. I think that has to have Kansas' focus. And you could argue, oh, is this going to be a look ahead game because it's Missouri week? I'm not sure our guys fully get what Missouri week is all about. You know, they've seen the students camping out even today, this morning, uh, much larger rates than we've seen at any point in a long, long time. And so they know that there's something big coming on Saturday but because we've not had the Missouri rivalry for a decade and none of these players know what it's about, I don't think there's any look-ahead factor at all. I think, if anything, there's a don't... You know, stub your toe and have another Dayton situation happen here. Uh, you know, one week after, you know, you, you have a great performance versus St. John's and kind of start to get a little bit of that, that swagger back overall. So I think the Jayhawks would be locked in and, uh, and maybe this is another one of these games that even though their record right now doesn't look that great, I know they're coming off a, a narrow defeat to New Mexico State to drop in the four and three. You know, perhaps this is still a team that makes its way into the NCAA tournament and ends up looking like a much better game when it's all said and done. But I'm looking forward to it, and uh, hopefully... As we alluded to, you know, we see Kansas go out there and perform much better in the T-Mobile Center, and, and not have a uh, a Washington or Syracuse or or you know, one of those type showings in this event that for so many years we thought was you know not a guaranteed win, but you know it was a good chance to go over to Kansas City uh, for that portion of your alumni base and uh, and showcase what you got going. And a lot of times uh, we, we drove home unhappy. So I think tomorrow night is going to be a night where it's just the opposite. We we come out of there feeling good about this team you sustain momentum and you really start to ramp up for what's going to be a really special Saturday so special in fact that I'm going to come back on on Friday we're going to break it all down KU and Mizzou the border showdown in great detail coming up on Friday's show
2: yep so we'll save all that border war talk for Friday Brian thank you so much for the time and uh quick message before you go
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, I I love hearing you call it the border war because that's always what we called it for 20 years. I'm not really supposed to say it that way because it's got a new rebrand and we have partners associated with it. Mm. But Don Fambro would say, and he did this <laughs> on RCST all the time, it's not a rivalry, it's a war. <laughs> and those those conversations with fam, we called them the fam files back in the day. We recorded all his best stuff in that gravelly, passionate voice about how much he hated these guys and all this stuff. I mean, that was just absolute radio gold back in the day. So, fun. I, I know it's not the PC thing right now, especially in, in, in times of war, but uh, the showdown coming up on Saturday we're excited about, but I, every time I hear that I think of fam. But yes, uh, to, to bring you uh, a little bit about my buddy Nate Miller, make sure you check him out. He's, he's one of the best guys in town and for retirement planning and uh, investment advice as well. He is fantastic. So make sure you check out the Miller Retirement Group. It's MillerRetirementGroup.com that's their website, and uh, really proud to have them on board to, uh, to sponsor these reports each and every week here on RCST. So just like the Hawks need their game plan for their next opponent, you need a game plan for your retirement. So make sure you check out my buddy Nate Miller at Miller Retirement Group today. Thanks so much, fellas.
2: All right, that was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, this is Rock Jock Sports Talk with Adam Dervetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 1320 KLWN. One hour down, two to go. Four o'clock hour with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. We got to get to our NFL Monday overreactions. We're also going to talk some KU volleyball. They're moving on to the Sweet 16. We had that for you on 929 The Bowl on Friday. Uh, But the Chiefs win last night on Sunday Night Football. Do you think NBC is happy with themselves that they flexed that game to Sunday night?
0: Real quick, if I may. Yeah. you just heard on that update, we kind of rolled our eyes with the, uh, with the gentleman and all of his lights. And, and look, I love Christmas. I love Mass Street being lit up. I love neighborhoods being lit up. I love to drive around neighborhoods and watch them in their lights. But these people who have ungodly light displays outside their house, the older I get, the more I side with Todd and Margo from Christmas Vacation. Like they were mean and rude in the way they went about complaining, but all of their beef with Clark Griswold was completely legit.
2: I I kind of rolled my eyes more about the uh, acronym thing, but I mean, he's doing this all for charity. That's so. fair.
0: That's fair. But still, I would if my neighbor had a billion lights up like that. I anyway. I'm a yeah. Grinch. I guess I, I'll be a big Grinch. Um, the uh, were they were they happy? I don't know. I I my my more thought was less about um, were they happy it got flexed and more were they happy with uh, the fact that their main play-by-play guy doesn't know how to pronounce names. Well, I um, don't know how
2: to pronounce that guy's name either. Okay, and but I don't you're not – I...
0: no, no, but if you were paid to do it, you would know. You would learn, <laughs> yeah. and you wouldn't just keep joking about it for the rest of the thing and go, Albert, oh, you try to say it now, Chris. And I thought he was going to fall asleep during Sorensen's touchdown return.
2: Well, anyway, as far as the game, um, twenty-two to nine, the score. Yeah, you
0: didn't ask my opinion about now, Michaels. No, no, I did. Um, as far as are were they happy when they fly? I didn't see a game yesterday that that would have been like. boy, boy. I mean, I guess. No,
2: that was just. I just thought it was such yeah. a boring game. It, it was.
0: It, it, the I mean, technically, the Ravens Steelers was a division game, but that goes back to what we've talked about. A close game doesn't necessarily mean a good game. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah, twenty-two to nine. Um, okay. You know, they got the win.
2: I ended up, by the way, as an update from uh, Friday, I ended up not going, and I could not be happier with my decision. Um, obviously, got back at, I don't know, 2 in the morning or something like that from Omaha on Friday into Saturday morning. Saturday, I had some broadcasts to do, and... Uh, Sunday we were kind of you know had chores to do around the house that's usually my, my chore day um, we're cleaning up the house and stuff we got some friends coming in town this next weekend for the KU Missouri game so it worked out perfectly and then also like I, I do this like bull pick every year uh, putting that together on Sunday night wouldn't have been able to do that if I was at the game and and just getting to actually relax and then go to bed at like a reasonable hour last night I, I'm very happy with my decision, even if that makes me a bad uh, bad Chiefs fan.
0: And you would have been at risk of catching on fire if you'd been that too, in a post-game parking lot.
2: Which is bad because I am flammable, like most humans. Um, uh, <laughs> the defense, though, again, impresses for the Chiefs in that game. You hold them to nine points, and you know it kind of adds to the list of this run of good play for the Chiefs over five, six games or whatever it is now for the defense specifically, where you know if you're to list off all the quarterbacks that you did this against— you wouldn't have a very impressive list, um, really, outside of, I guess, Dak Prescott. You know, Derek Carr is, I don't know, an above-average quarterback, Hot so cold, I guess but fine. yeah. Yeah, um, but this would kind of be added to that list, but again, you didn't, like, the fact that you're doing even this, it doesn't matter who the quarterbacks are. Like, if you consistently do this against bad opponents or bad quarterbacks, it still doesn't matter, and... The fact that the defense is playing this well and it's continued on this long makes me think this is something that's going to continue the rest of the way. Now, again, if you're playing a good quarterback, you know, you're not going to be expected to only give up nine points or to give up 14 points. But that's never been the question. It's always been. You know, when you're playing a better team, when you're playing in the playoffs, can you hold these teams at 24 points? Because if you do that, that should be enough with the offense. And we'll get into the offense here in a moment because right now maybe it wouldn't be enough for the offense. But the defense is holding their own. And once again, they won the Chiefs that game last night.
0: Yeah, I'll say this. Just to touch on the Chiefs offense really quick. We've talked many times about how you could argue that if the if the Broncos just add themselves a quarterback, they're all of a sudden the best team in the division. They have a stupendous roster outside of their uh, quarterback. The one, But on the topic of the defense, I was so frustrated um, when Townsend had that good punt, pinned him at like the three, and they were running. It just looked like a, a boring high school offense. It was the same, you know, all right, we're going to go up the middle. All right, now we're going to, you know, you could kind of read which direction they were going to run based on where the guard pulled. And then you'd have a couple where the guard's not going to pull early this time. He's going to pull more toward the outside. But, you know, so they had, it was just kind of run, play, run, play, run, play. And they they took it all the way from backed up against the end zone. They converted a fourth and three or fourth and two. Then they converted a fourth of, in seven. And that was infuriating. And they get all the way deep into Chiefs territory. And then the Chiefs stuff them on fourth and two. And really, that was the only drive where I would, and that was the, the drive that, toward the the second to last Cowboys drive of the second quarter. Um they took forever, which worked to their advantage cuz it kept the Chiefs offense off the field, but they got zero points out of it. And I thought it was the right move for them to go for it on fourth and 2, but the Chiefs bottled up and stopped them. Um and that was the only drive um even I mean the drive the drive where the Dallas where Dallas scored or uh, where Denver scored their touchdown wasn't ideal. But it was also by then the Chiefs were up, I think, twenty-two to three at that point. So it was kind of like, okay, um, weird—you know—weird things happen. You're losing focus because you're up twenty-two to three. But when when they stopped that fourth down play, that was the only time the whole game where I was frustrated with the defense was that drive, mm-hmm. and they bowed up from there.
2: Yeah, and even then, it took you know two fourth down conversions from the Broncos to yeah. get to that point.
0: And 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 even um, I think it was Charvarius Ward slipped. They yeah. probably wouldn't have had as, as easy to shot at that fourth and seven if, if Ward hadn't slipped. And look, good, give him credit. They had a good – The I can't remember who caught it, but he ran a good route um, for the Broncos. But anyway, so with the exception of that drive, which didn't – I mean, if, if you're at a point where the most frustrating drive your defense puts out in a game is one when they don't even give up
2: points, that's a good place yeah, to be. Absolutely. And, I mean, it was so good that even the guys who – have been much maligned all season long were the guys who came up with some of the biggest plays. Ben Neiman, a guy who has taken a lot of heat because he is probably the fourth or fifth best linebacker on the team, but for a lot of times has been playing top two or three linebacker. Snaps had a big tip pass that turned into the hands of Daniel Sorensen, who had the pick six. and what Daniel Sorensen. Yeah, he also had the uh, tackle on the two-point conversion yeah. at the end of the game. I I mean, look, Sorensen.
0: I, I think we we mentioned, and I, I like to think we're pretty fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I I think this whole time we were probably more fr- or early in the season, we were less frustrated with Sorensen himself, and more frustrated with the manner in which he was used. He was just you don't. And we we talked about this in the off season, uh, or I wasn't here in the off season, but you and I talked about it uh, as just as friends off the air in the off season, but Sorensen. You love him as your third safety, hopping over the offensive line, stuffing dudes on fourth or on um, on fake punt attempts. Um, again, you know when they're playing the Texans, in the divisional round. But I'm not going to get mad at Daniel Sort like he he was being used right. I'm not going to mm. get mad at a USB port because it can't write. <laughs> yeah, right. Like I'm I, I yeah, it's uh, my job to use tools that, that to their abilities. And he was not being used to his ability. Yeah. Imagine and, if
2: you played Chris Jones as safety. Yeah, exactly. Like, he would be terrible. Everybody would be mad at him, and right? You
0: and you saw exactly what what you're seeing now is exactly what um what you the fruits of of using people properly. Um and and yeah, I mean it was right there for Sorensen to pick off and uh he broke a couple good tackles and, and off to the races. I mean that you know, I hope I hope it doesn't result in much more playing time, because no. I really like him in the role he's mm-hmm. in.
2: By the way, Willie Gay almost had a, uh, it might have been a pick six, the very least would have been a it pick. Was a pick. Yeah, a, what, it was pick, First right drive, there. second drive of the game, yeah. and that is, I think, three or four of those that he hasn't been able to hold on that could have legitimately been pick sixes over the last, like, three weeks. I'm telling you, he is going to get a pick six before the season ends. Yeah, he we, I mean, Like. He has been so close since he was drafted. Even before he
0: got playing time, we kept we started talking more and more about um, Derek Johnson. Um, and, Hello. Uh oh, okay. I, I didn't. I honestly wasn't even trying to make that pun. Uh, the li- former linebacker Derek mm-hmm. Johnson. But point being, still me. Um, you know he was he's you know that guy was a pick six machine. Mm-hmm. So you just you kind of think Willie Gay is due for one. Uh, yeah. I was thinking back. This is kind of a tangent, but remember Patrick Mahomes' first year as a starter? How many there were like three or four games that would have ended had the Chiefs been able to reel in a pick six, but instead it got dropped, and it seemed like they lost every one of those games. Like I think it happened in that crazy Monday night game against the Rams. It happened against the Seahawks. There were like three games. That Gosh, Chiefs, I remember the Rams one. The Chiefs yeah. could have sealed with a pick six late. Um, and and the defender dropped it, giving the offense another chance. And but anyway, that there was who else dropped the pick uh, last night? Was it Ward? It wasn't. It, was, it wasn't Matthew. Yeah, it was either
2: Ward or Snead. I can't remember They've which been one. Sneed, but yeah, I was Snead. But yeah.
0: Um. But they. It, it seemed like really the Thornhill. Re- receivers and defenders alike were dropping passes last yeah, night. Yeah,
2: lots of drops. And I guess that's that'll transition us into the offense specifically because you had a ton of drops on that end, which. You know, on defense, you obviously want to catch things because interceptions are. You only have so many chances at it, but it's a little less excusable. There's a reason on you're on defense. Exactly, exactly. That's uh, you know, my dad and I'm sure everybody else's dad likes to say the old line of, well, "That's why he's a corner, not a receiver," right? Um, Dads also like to say, "We should
0: probably get to the airport about ten hours early,"
2: <laughs> except for Kansas City Airport, just get there ten minutes early. But um, I don't know. The Broncos have a good defense, right? So. And they also made it a lower possession game. Like, that drive was 10 minutes long, so that's going to impact your chances to score high points, even if you were more efficient. So that impacts things. Take it with a grain of salt. But at the end of the day, you scored... I I can't remember if the missed PAT was on an offensive touchdown or on the Daniel Sorensen pick six, but basically you scored... It was the
0: Sorensen pick six. Okay, so you
2: scored 16 points on offense. Yeah. Which, again, that does not feel like normal for this offense, and... I, I don't know where to sit on this because again it's another game where the offense is not right and you know um, from a from a macro level be happy you won the game you won the game going away you never really had to sweat uh, it
0: and look think what you
2: will about the Broncos mm-hmm. they they had a winning record coming
0: yeah, in just the game. beat
2: up the Chargers yeah right? I mean they. they they're, they're a playoff level team. They're not I mean, they're, a rummy team. Well, okay, think about this. If, if the Broncos would have won that game, I'm pretty sure the Broncos would have moved into first in the AFC West and the Chiefs would have fallen into the eighth seed. Eight seed, yeah. So, I mean, you've you been so a, a, you a real playoff contender yes. last night. Be happy. So, be happy with that. But if we're going to, you know, the goal of this team is obviously to go back to the Super Bowl to win the Super Bowl. So, you have to have high expectations there, right? It's like when we talk about KU basketball, they're ranked like 34th in adjusted. Uh, defense on Ken Palm, for most teams, they'd be like, who cares? That's great to have with the top five offense, but when you have national title aspirations, you're trying to get that into like the top 20, right? It's the same thing with the Chiefs. You just have high expectations. So from that standpoint, the offense has to get better. And on one hand, it is worrisome because this trend just continues of them really struggling, except for the Raiders game kind of in between there. But on the other hand, everything we saw last night, I, I kind of feel like is a lot more like some of the issues we saw with the offense through the early part of when they were struggling with the Titans game and the Packers game and so forth. You're playing these defenses that are playing the two high safeties and you just, it, maybe you'll have one drive where you check it down and run the ball down their throat for the whole drive and it works, but you, you're you not, you don't have the patience to stick with it for the whole game, right? That wasn't what I saw in this game. They had the patience. They were doing that the whole time through. It was just a lack of execution, and, and I don't know how much like the the twenty mile per hour wind impacted things. I'm kind of thinking it did a pretty good amount because of how off it was. Maybe it was just coming off a bye week and that you weren't, you know, you kind of lost your rhythm of of a week to week preparation and, and and type of system. But the fact is that you dropped a handful of passes that I don't. I, I mean, I'm speaking out of both ends of my mouth because you've had the tipped interceptions throughout the year, and that, again, is a trend that's worrisome. But having five, six, seven dropped passes, that doesn't seem repeatable. Having Patrick Mahomes missing, how many passes did he just miss? You know, three, four, five passes? Last that, night? That, that, yeah, that, I mean, that feels like execution stuff to me, not a game plan thing or not the right idea of things. So that gives me hope because, like I said, I don't expect Patrick Mahomes to miss guys that much each and every game.
0: Yeah, and a lot of it I I wonder if he um if he's trying to just unload the ball and, and, and he sees something different than we do. Uh and, and it's 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 him chucking it at the feet. Like I think Patrick Mahomes chucks it at the feet of a receiver to to throw it away where a lot of quarterbacks heave it out of back. Oh yeah,
2: I think like the, the Marcus Kemp one. Yeah. I, I, you know, it was a low throw. He didn't end up catching it, but he had a guy right on his back. It was like, all right, this is either going to be incomplete or you're going to make a great catch. Yeah,
0: I think that's, I think that's his, his mo is, is to chuck it low when he's throwing it away rather than heave it out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'll go back to a comparison I made earlier this year. Uh, and I can't remember exactly what game it was, but, um, in general, I was making comparison to the first quarter of the, of the uh, Texans divisional playoff game. And I kept watching that game, and at no point did I think the Chiefs were going to win by twenty. But I just kept watching, going, you know, we're down twenty-four to nothing, and if we just keep be, you know, if, if if we keep doing what we're doing and stop making mistakes, we're we're gonna be right back in this thing. Was my thought the whole time because every every drive offensively. Now the defense started off in that game pretty poor, but but even then there was a the drop off punt. But the point is in that game i just kept thinking if this team quits making mistakes on offense then they're not going to keep punting, and i kind of thought that last night that if this team just stops dropping balls they they looked open the routes were fine um i don't know and, and look i you know the the wind was going fast and then on top of that you're in kind of uniquely built stadium that, that you know in in football stadiums um you know the the wind swirls in odd ways, so it it wasn't. And then look, you were playing a good defense. Give credit where credit mm-hmm. was due. Um, but yeah, I I do think you're you're still at a point now where uh, when you're when you're judging them against the level of who you expect can win a world championship. Now the AFC, every team has kind of been still right till right now. The Chiefs are the only team in the AFC that don't have an absolute awful loss. Now, the, back when they lost to the Titans, they lost. The, you know that was when they still had Derrick Henry, but they did lose by 24 points. So you could argue it was an awful loss, but it was not a loss to an awful team mm-hmm. like the Bills have against Jacksonville and things like that. Um, so the Chiefs still seem to be the only team that had in the in the AFC that has not lost to a really bad football team, uh, and that to me means something. But I, I think if you're judging this against a team that has the possibility of winning a world championship. I haven't seen – I've seen that offense once, and it was against the, the Raiders on a night when we talked about they, for whatever reason, insisted on staying in cover one.
2: Yeah, and that's fair, and and I think, like I said, the most worrisome thing to me about the offense was the, the dropped, tipped pass, whatever you want to call it, that turned into an interception because of the fact that it keeps happening, and, and you don't want those trends to continue. But also, it's very easy to stand back and say – hey, if that doesn't happen, I I think they were going in to score there, right? I mean, they were on the Denver side of the field. If they go in and get a touchdown there, the Chiefs end that game with, uh, you know, let's say Harrison Bucker makes the, the P.A.T. both times, 30 points, right? And then we're not even having this discussion at this point, but that just kind of is the nature of things. That's the NFL, right? And, it, it, it's all about how you execute that specific day. And it could have been because of the wind or it could have been because
0: how the team was playing at that point that last night. Mm-hmm. But Reed turtling up at the end of the first half yeah, that was didn't irritating. Help. Yeah, that we didn't even with, bring that with up. Two two timeouts left mm-hmm. a minute something. I do think if this is – and maybe it's because he has more faith in his defense or maybe it's because he didn't trust his receivers to stop dropping the ball – for whatever reason he chose to turtle up but I think in previous years Reed starts chucking it and at least tries to get a field goal there yeah it's especially very, knowing you're getting the ball in the second half
2: it's frustrating it's like uh you know it's like if wilt Chamberlain just decided to start shooting like 20 footers it, it, where like yeah you're clear like Andy Reed you're clearly one of the best coaches in the NFL you're you're one of the best coaches at game planning and at X's and O's and at working a locker room and all those things but the game management and the time management leaves so much to be desired. Like I said, it'd be like if Wilt was shooting like twenty footers and just breaking them all the time. It's like, how about you? How about you just you know not do that and just just focus on your strengths and get somebody. But that is what it is. By the way, did you know this is really weird because twenty two is obviously a weird number to end up on Buck in the NFL. Um, this is the oh yeah that actually do you think they did that on purpose? Do you Could've think been. they told Harrison Bucker they to miss the it. PAT? Good to like to honor Buck O'Neill making the Hall of Fame. Um, this, that's the second straight game because they played the the Broncos last year in Arrowhead. That was the, the final game they played them last year, and this was obviously the first one this year. So second straight game against the Broncos in Arrowhead, they scored exactly 22 points. Was it
0: 22 to 10 last 22 year?
2: 22 to 16.
0: That was closer than I thought. Yeah.
2: What? Like I said, weird numbers in this series. But Did
0: Sorensen have a pick six in that one too?
2: No, I think he might have though in the Denver one, it in, in the road one.
1: Somebody did in the road one. In the snow? Yeah. In the snow, yeah.
2: I guess he's just a uh, a Denver Bronco lover playing against him. So uh, be uh, ready to hit that prop bet for, I think, January 8th or whatever for Daniel Sorensen pick six can probably get good odds on it. All right, with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, KU Volleyball team moving on to the Sweet 16. Let's discuss. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, Johnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back in. This is RCST with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Top of the 5 o'clock hour, we'll talk some more KU basketball, but right now, it is time for our NFL Monday overreactions. Uh, Adam, do you want to get this going, or do you want me to start it off?
0: Yeah, let me uh, get going on some bump music here real quick. And... My first overreaction as I stall for time because I got to open up the notepad on my phone. The Chargers and the Bengals. I'm stealing this somewhat from something that you said the other day, Derek. Uh, the Chargers and the Bengals hate compliments because if you say <laughs> anything good about either of them, they're mm-hmm. going to start losing. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as those compliments start going away, uh, they start uh, they start winning once again. Uh, the Bengals were the team that everybody liked going into Sunday. Uh, and the Chargers was like 41-22 or something so wait a couple of weeks Chargers will be complimented again and they'll lay a turd right there on the 50 yard
2: the line the Steelers are kind of like that too you know Yeah, like, uh, like they're going to get compliments now for being the Ravens like more, oh yeah. okay they're going to be a playoff team and then they're just going to Big Ben's going to have some game where he goes 18 of 25 on 10 checkdowns for 102 yards and everybody's going to be like calling for his head uh, my first one you you mentioned this a little the the idea of how good the Broncos could be if they had a, a quarterback. Well, I'll go one step further. The Broncos would be the best team in the AFC hands down right now if they had Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers or Aaron Rodgers. Um, I'd yeah I'd
0: agree more with Rodgers. I'm not as high oh, on of Russell Wilson as a lot of people.
2: Well, are. I I think Aaron Rodgers is like clearly a tier or maybe even two above Russell Wilson. Like, Russell Wilson to me is, depending on the year, how good of a year he's having is somewhere between probably the fourth to, like, seventh best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. Um I think that would even be enough, though, for the Broncos to be the best team in the AFC. That's
0: actually a good point. It's Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, have, they have a really good roster,
2: man. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the running back, like, they showed the stat um, that Javante Williams had, had broken more tackles than any running back in the NFL. Clearly a good running game. Offensive line, good. Receiving core, good. They've been investing in that uh, for years now. The defense, obviously very good. It's a good football team. If you added a quarterback to that... I mean, they're only two games back of the top record in the AFC right now, even without one. So I think it would be reasonable to expect, and I think that's a little scary for the Chiefs, that if Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson comes to town in the offseason this next year, I mean, that's that's a pretty big threat for winning the division. My next overreaction, uh, liars always win, and there is
0: no karma in mm. the world. Uh, Rodgers and the Packers are doing pretty well after <laughs> his Urban Meyer lost, though. Uh, That's fair. So grinders do not win. Um, But uh, to add to that and and what went on with Rodgers and how they're doing well, the Buccaneers. They lose a bunch of people because they were big, fat liars. that's right. Antonio Brown. And they just absolutely bowled through the Falcons yesterday. Mm -hmm. So... Apparently, uh, no such thing as karma, mm. and lying and cheating will
2: get you places in this world. Okay, uh, my Just number
0: two, and run, guys. the
2: Seattle Seahawks. Are they in jail though? One of them's That'd dead. Come and, around? One of them's dead
0: and gone. But yeah, I think the rest are still in the can.
2: Okay, uh, the Seattle Seahawks are actually in the thick of things in the wild card race. This might sound silly because they're four and eight now, even after the win over San Francisco. But currently, the seventh seed and the sixth seed in the nfc are both six and six and seattle has three games left that should be absolute gimmies they're at houston chicago at home detroit at home they should win all three of those they play at la the rams and then they finish up at arizona so that's where the toughness comes in but if you think about it if the wild cards are six and six that means there's going to be a wild card that finishes at either nine and eight or maybe even eight and nine and if you give me those three gimmies to put them to 7 and 8, they would just have to split those other two with the Rams in Arizona just to even be in the mix. And who knows, maybe they could get hot and win all of them, and especially because even though that at-Arizona game at the end may sound really difficult, it's the last week of the season. Who knows, maybe Arizona has everything clinched up by then and then they're playing their backups.
0: Yeah, I think the argument against that is if, if the Packers and the Cardinals stay mm-hmm. hot, because I the Packers are a game behind the Cardinals right now, but they have the They've head-to-head had, time. Break, yeah, they'd tie-breaker. have to be two up. Um, so yeah, but you could be. I mean, but you could also run into a situation where uh, they have the two sona mm-hmm. that if they fall a game behind the Packers,
2: yeah, um, they can't get the one. Yeah, that they can't and then get they're the like, one. What and else they're do we have? Yeah, so yeah.
0: There are a couple situations in which they could go in. Um, so yeah, that would be interesting. Really, you have you you just named two quarterbacks who could very well leave their teams and go play for the Denver Broncos next year, and it's it's entirely possible. Uh, but both of those teams, you know, both of those quarterbacks would be walking away from
2: playoff teams. And in the case of the Packers, like there is a real chance it's a, a, Super a world Bowl championship team. Yeah.
0: So, um, what an odd thing that, that we're uh, that we're seeing right now. Um, my next overreaction: uh, the guy who does the ground, guy or woman, I don't know who they are, uh, does the groundskeeping at the New York Jets stadium, uh, is a closet Eagles fan. I don't know if you watched that game, but I was they're watching both green. I was watching highlights, and the Eagles scored a touchdown, and I was looking at the end zone, and I go, that's interesting. Why are the Eagles wearing their away uniforms when they're playing at home? Because of the color of the <laughs> green in the end zone. And I thought, that's weird. Why does the Eagles end zone have a Jets logo painted in it? <laughs> and then it occurred to me, no, they're playing in New York, mm-hmm. where the New York Jetropolitans play. And they play in that met life stadium and
2: jet life stadium the
0: jet life stadium and the jets in zone colors are much closer in green uh, to the uh, eagles green so apparently um big jet or big eagles fan there and look new york ain't far from philadelphia and you know you could be a you can be an eagles fan i mean
2: what would you rather be i'd rather be an eagles fan than a jets fan
0: yeah, I mean, neither is great, but at least you got a, yeah. you got a championship since 19— Eagles have first Super Bowl three, three. first-round draft picks this
2: year, too. Yeah, That's so, exciting. I mean, I, I can't say I blame them. No, I can't either. Yeah, I actually—I was watching that game, and I, I had—me uh, and my wife are, are in this, like, pick em, and I had the uh, Eagles as one of my picks for the week's. And so we're just watching red zone and it's, it's going through and it goes to the game and the jets made a play happen. And she's like cheering. She's like, that's good for you. And I'm like, Nope, wrong team. Cause you just couldn't tell. You yeah. couldn't tell who uh, the teams were. All right. My third and final one, the Minnesota Vikings should not be allowed to make the playoffs right now. They are the eight seed. I believe I know they're sitting outside the playoffs. I don't know if they're the eight or the nine with tiebreakers, but they are a game back of the six and six teams. They're currently sitting at uh Uh, Five and seven, I want to say right now, um, behind those other teams. They just lost to the Lions. That is the Lions' first victory of the year. If you are a team who is in the playoff race and you lose to a team who's 0-10-1, I don't care what you do the rest of the way. I don't care if they finish 10-7. and You're out. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I'm sure the Vikings are are wishing that they
0: were in um, Major League Baseball who just... Yeah, there, experience. there, are, there are thirty MLB baseball teams, and I think in the new collective bargaining agreement, forty make the playoffs. <laughs> so I'm thinking the Vikings mm-hmm. were really wishing they'd be they'd be there. I think that's a fair rule. So you just skip to the next best yeah. team. You're like, I I know you should be the six seed,
2: but yeah, come so on, you the lost Vikings, to the, Lions. the Vikings get the seven. Yeah. It's it's but you the, give it to the eight because they didn't lose to the Lions. We'll call it the crappy team rule. You lose to a bad team you just get hopped, you know. And and there's levels here, right? If you lose to a 4 and 12 team, okay, it happens, right? You lose to a team and that's their only win. Like come on. The 2000 Chiefs, the
0: last year of Gunther Cunningham as mm-hmm. the Chiefs, the, the late great Gunther Cunningham, who was not so great as a head coach but was great as a defensive coordinator, the uh, 2000 Chiefs went 7 and 9 and and handed the San Diego Chargers, San Diego at that time Chargers, their only victory of the year. Chargers <laughs> went 1 and 15. And their one win was against the Kansas City Not a playoff team.
2: team. So, uh, yeah, Kirk Cousins, sorry, bud. I know you have great stats this year. By the way, that was the ultimate Kirk Cousins game. You look at the box score, you say, oh, this guy must have played well. He threw for over 300 yards, didn't have any, I don't think he had any interceptions. And, you know, he has good stats and everything. But you actually watch the game. There was a third and 22 where the Vikings were down late in the fourth quarter, midway through the fourth quarter, and he checked it down for seven yards. And it's like, dude. Come on. That is the ultimate Kirk Cousins story. It might look good on the stat sheet, but it doesn't necessarily always help you win. All right. This is Rock Jock Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go on FM 1017, 1320 KL to be on with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. Depend on it.
1: They really want to get McCormick going. It's been a slow start for him. Oh, my God. We're back again.
2: You know what time it is? No. What time is it? It's time for you to get your groove back.
0: Again!
2: Yes, I'm big! <laughs> Guess who's- David McCormick is officially back, question mark. I mean, it's only one game, right? But is that the one game to change things around? 15 points, 13 rebounds. He was dominant in that game.
0: Efficiently, too. How many minutes did he play? Like
2: 20-something? Yeah, it wasn't very much. Um, My internet's pooping out right now, otherwise I'd tell you. He's still only averaging. In this building? No. I know, right? 19 minutes per game right now, which is pretty crazy to think about. Yeah. He's averaging 9 and 6, so the numbers are fine, 48%. Like, that's lower than you'd like for a big man, especially a Bill Self big man that's going to get easy baskets. But that was everything you could have hoped that David McCormick was and more, right? Um, I I think the biggest thing that you think of with Dave is the ability to score the ball um, on the block when he's right. That's the big caveat there. Uh, The rebounding hasn't really been a consistent thing for him over the course of his career, right? There have been games where he's had double-digit rebounding, but it's not—for a guy who's 6'10", 250 chiseled like he is, you would think he is averaging 10 rebounds a game. That has definitely not been the case. I don't know what was more important, what was more impressive for the team, the fact that he did grab those 13 rebounds, or the fact that he did look confident offensively and it wasn't another game where you had to worry about it every time the ball touched Dave's hands on the block.
0: I think a lot of people uh, get um, a little trepidatious or, or maybe even, I don't know, nervous when they hear Bill Self saying things like, we want to play through Dave. Mm-hmm. Because I think what they hear is, we want to w- run our offense the exact same way we did um, when we had, when it was only Devon Dodson and Yudoka Azabuki. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think Self means Uh, You know, we could argue that Self should emphasize the three more and what the analytics say. That's fine. But I think what he means when he says we need to play through Dave is if Dave is is viewed as a legitimate scoring threat by the other team, and for the record, Dave McCormick can pass out really well, better than a lot of – I mean, better than I think Udoka could. Um, And so I think what he means by we want to play through – um McCormick is if you get him a couple touches on every offensive set and and the defense respects him as a scoring threat and not just a bull in the china shop then you're going to see a, a defense that has to collapse a little bit which will open up scoring threats for everybody else which we've seen this team better than in recent years can you know their threats from the outside um so, I, you know, I I think when he says, you know, we want to play through Dave, I don't think he's sitting there going, we need Dave to score 26 points a game. But, I, I you know, I like that they were running, you know, I, I like that they were running sets. I, I like when, when Self calls out a player, he doesn't say, all right, now get on the court and figure it out. He starts to run sets through him. Um, you know, the first points of the game were a, a – it was a very classic Bill Self play. It was a lob that turned out to go from Oach to um, – to McCormick, but it was, a, it was a play that anybody who's watched Bill Self basketball with KU has, have seen a million times, um, but, and it worked, and but you know so they run plays through him, but they also don't go out of their way to you know they don't they don't they never shuttered the the offense just to get points for his sake. They they found ways to get him the ball within the flow of the offense, um, and I think that you know the fact that he was able to score and was taking advantages of his touches um, meant he was going to get more as the game wore on.
2: Yeah, and I saw Jesse Newell tweeted this out um, the other day that uh, KU has its lowest amount of shots ending up in the post since 2018 right now. So, you know, it, it's not that he's necessarily the be-all, end-all of the offense. I think a lot of what he means when he says running the, uh, the offense through Dave is just the fact that, it opens so many things up for you if you're able to establish him as a threat, right? That doesn't mean he has to shoot it every time, but if defenses know that he's struggling like he has been, you may only get single coverage, right? And that's going to make it maybe a little more difficult to open up driving lanes, or it might make it a little more difficult to you know, find an open shooter because guys are going to stick to the outside. If you have Dave going it's as much about the threat of getting Dave going as it is him actually scoring, right? Because then you can dump him the ball in the post, and now the defense has to bring a double. And now, uh, something Bill Self mentioned today, he said, I, I think Dave's a pretty good passer for a big man. Uh, then all of a sudden, if you get doubled, you notice that, hey, somebody's open, boom, now you have an open three, and that's the form of running the offense through him or just having the threat there to where, you know, you work an action where it makes it look like he's going to get the ball in the post and, And now the defense has their eyes there, you do something behind it, boom, all of a sudden something else happens, right? There's so many things you can play off of that, and this is something I've talked about a lot this season. Dave is the one guy on this team, the one big man on this team, that you're going to, when he's right, throw the ball to in the post and feel like he can score consistently. And again, right now, when he's not right, you're not going to feel that way. But when he is, we have seen that guy. And with Zach Clements... He's just not strong enough yet to make moves in the post. Great, you know, shooter from the outside and stretch five, but he's not really going to make his moves in the post right now. K.J. Adams, he's not really an offensive threat. Mitch Lightfoot, you know, he'll hit a hook shot every now and then. He'll he'll get a seal off every now and then, get an easy basket because he's experienced. He knows what he's doing in the offense, but he's not a guy that you're consistently each and every time going to, the same way that Bill Stuff is talking about it, run the offense through Mitch Lightfoot. Dave is the one guy, when he's right, that you feel like you can do that for and that it can be successful. And I think that's as much of it as anything. You're trying to get this guy that way because he is the one guy who can provide that for you. And while there are other options if he continues to struggle that we talked about, at some point the Band-Aid will be ripped off, he still would provide you something nobody else can and that St. John's game was a perfect example of that.
0: If a defense is overly focused on who has the basketball, that gives a lot of. I look back, um, and this is talking defense, not mm-hmm. offense, but uh, Travis Relaford was, to me, and I, you know, self may argue otherwise, and he knows his teams far better than I do, but in my mind, Travis Relaford was the greatest away from the ball defender that I have seen at KU. He could. When when they had every every defense and, and you really noticed it when they were playing Fred Hoiberg coach teams, every defense or every offense has kind of a guy who just kind of runs around typically from base from one side of the baseline to the other, and his whole effort is to get open shots, and you have to have a man on him the whole time. Relaford was really good at that. What I'm getting at is the Jayhawks have a couple guys who are threats. To either drive, really they have multiple guys who, who can drive, and then they have a couple guys who can drive or can shoot from deep. Um, and if you have a defense that is less focused about away from the ball, uh, offensive players, and their their defense is focused on who has the ball, um, then if you have a big man like that, then that's going to open up threats for athletic guys who can, you know, if if you know. The, the the guards and the wings on this team are so athletic that if they if if you give the ball to another guy and his focus goes to David McCormick for just a split second, that's enough to get Ochai Abaji away from his man enough to get him mm-hmm. open enough to shoot a three.
2: Well, yeah, and and let's say hypothetically, you have a five out there of um, David McCormick, Jalen Wilson, Remy Martin, Ochai Baji, Christian Brown. And Dave has one of those games where he's really going, and he's seven of nine from the field, right? And he has 16 points. He's got a couple free throws with it, right? Um, He gets the ball down low. As the defense, you're sitting there going, okay, we have to double him in the post. Mm -hmm. Who do you leave open?
0: Yeah, exactly. You know? I think this team is clearly at its best um, when... Yeah, I, I don't want an offense that requires David McCormick to score 28 points a game mm-hmm. because I just don't think – I think it's been proven time and time again that just giving it to your big man and hoping he can throw in a layup is a super inefficient way to play the game of basketball. But I do think that in in terms of opening up scoring opportunities for everybody else on a team that already is a massive scoring threat uh, as from just based on fast break opportunities – If you can build more scoring threats in your half-court offense when you don't have a fast break opportunity, that just, you know, is even better. Um, And so, yeah, I I think if, you know, if you have – if at any given moment David McCormick can score with the basketball, um, then he – is going to open up lanes and opportunities for, for other guys.
2: Yeah. Uh, the other big... Uh, like, I
0: don't think it's a coincidence that Christian Brown... And look, credit goes to Christian Brown for how, how hard he's worked. I don't think it's a coincidence that Christian Brown's best game um, came on David McCormick's best mm-hmm.
2: night. Yep, so great game, Christian Brown. Great game from David McCormick. Uh, the other big piece, I think, from that game for KU was the fact that Bobby Pettiford got injured. And uh, at the presser earlier today, Bill Self... Talked about him having, I think it was like abdominal strain or something like that. Uh, he said, I, I don't have an exact timeline on it, but he did float out there four to five weeks, oh. which that puts you, you know, in through, the conference play. Yeah, exactly. And it's unfortunate for him very much. So he's been really impressive and I think he's been impressive enough that he'll get a chance when he comes back. But you just hope that, you know, the bus doesn't leave you at the at the station, so to speak, and that. Um, by the time the next bus comes, it's like just kind of, a I don't know, you struggle to get back in, in tune. The way that we're seeing Jalen have to come back and, and kind of work back into the rotation and work back into having the right chemistry with the guys on the court. You hope that doesn't happen for Bobby Pettiford. Uh, so it's unfortunate for him. But I also wonder if this is kind of what we've been waiting for in terms of, figuring out the rotation it's something been so tough. something had to force their there something had to happen and, and you never want it to be injury and you never want it to happen like this but a lot of times this is kind of just how it happens like you just figure it's going to happen so i i kind of wonder if this will be the case and if that is the case i think two guys immediately see their minutes skyrocket one of them well, not skyrocket right? i guess who are you thinking um, yeah go for it i think
0: it's remy martin dewan harris
2: no, I, uh, well, I, I mean, yeah, they'll, they'll probably play a few more minutes. Jalen won? I, I think the best opportunity, Jalen Coleman lands for one. Okay. That's just more guard minutes go around. Um, And number two, I think the biggest Joe guy. Yesifu. Joe Yesifu. I can't
0: believe I forgot about him. Yeah,
2: because uh, for so long this season, Joe Yesifu and Bobby Pettiford, I think, have been going back and forth yeah. with, you know, who's going to be that, that first guard off the bench behind Dewan and Remy Martin. And. Some games, Joe Yesfu's been better. Some games, Bobby Pettiford's been better. For for the most part, they're playing around the same minutes. It's probably the best opportunity Joe Yesfu will have this season. Like, If if Joe Yesfu can't take advantage of this in the next month, then he probably never will.
0: And if he can, then that puts you in a
2: position... And look, Bill Self,
0: I don't think would ever... um, I don't think any coach... Well, there are coaches out there who would, but... I, I think it's very uncommon for a coach to try to force a player back um, and risk further injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some coaches would, but I think that is very much the exception, not the rule. And I don't think Bill Self is, you know, I think he's No, that's, that's the why rule, they said the they're going to keep
2: Bobby Pettiford out because they said he could play through it at about 80%. But he was like, for Bobby Pettiford to be a good player on this team, he has to be 100%. And, and the
0: fact that they don't need to is kind of yeah. nice, too. If Yesifu steps up. Um, that's, you know, it's a good, you know, it's it's not a good thing that he got injured, but I mean, it's a good thing that you're not going to see, you know, I if Yesifu plays at the level we're thinking he will, then you're not going to have to sit there biting your fingernails until Bobby Pettiford returns.
2: Right. And I think the potential is there for Joe Yesifu. We've seen different times when he can go out and get his own shot. It just hasn't been as aggressive enough. And, and maybe this is something that allows him to feel more comfortable and just the more he plays, he'll feel like he can... Because that's honestly the biggest reason they brought him in from Drake, the fact that... He was such a good scorer. I mean, he drops, you know, 25, 30 points on USC, a USC team you got creamed by in the NCAA tournament. Um over the last, you know, month or two of the season when he took over for Drake as the starting guard, he's averaging 20 a game. He's, you know, shooting at a high level, he's finishing at the rim, he's creating his own shot. That's a big reason why you brought him in um to be a a point guard on this team. And The fact that he's been praised so far for his defense, for his defensive pressure. Bill Self said today at the presser, he said, you know, um, the best guy we've had in terms of pressuring the other point guard has been Jeff Hawkins. He said outside of that, like he would be up there in that category. So you're talking about and. And. He mentioned to clarify, he was like, yes, like Marcus is the best defender we've ever had, but just in terms of that one specific skill, like pressuring the other point guard, getting in their face, being kind of a gnat defensively. Joe Yesfu is as good as anybody as Bill Self has coached, except for maybe Jeff Hawkins in that regard. That's very high praise. And it was funny because he he made notion of this at the presser. We'll, we'll play this audio for you tomorrow. He goes, and you know, he, and he's smiling, he's kind of laughing. He's like, you know, I'm somebody who values defense as much as anybody. And he's kind of laughing and smiling and going, but for Joe to be good for us, we need him to get going offensively. We need him to be a shooter. We need him to be a scorer. He has the defensive part of it. That's usually the hardest part to get with Bill Self. And I think the fact that he might be getting more minutes soon, the fact that he might start be starting to get more comfortable soon and those two things might connect at the same point in time, and then all of a sudden you start to feel the offense flowing, this is a huge opportunity, and I think one that Joe Yesfu will take advantage of.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we saw – I think it helps to know that we've seen it. We haven't seen it in a KU uniform yet, but we've seen it in a, um, it, you know, at, at the highest level of basketball where he beat, um, you know, a sweet 16 level team or didn't beat, but had the best game against a sweet 16 caliber team last year. Um, so, yeah, I you know, we've seen hit that he's capable of it. Um, I, I hope, you know, and look, if it's just a matter of deference, then I think that's something he can break
2: out of, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, we'll see you as soon as tomorrow. Okay, you taking on UTEP. here, right here on KLWN at 7 o'clock, pregame at 5.30. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it.